Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Church family, glad that you are here. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. Happy New Year to you. Welcome, Deaf Ecclesia. We're glad you are here with us today. Though we pray for your pastor, Boaz, that he'll feel a little bit better, but we're glad we have this option for you today. Hope that you're enjoying the new year. A couple of things before we jump into a sermon today. want to draw your attention to one is, I just want to thank you for your incredible generosity. Over our Christmas offering this year, raised over $75,000. That's a large offering. Thank you. Macy Rubel will be getting her vehicle, and we're also going to put some of that money towards paying off the remainder of debt that we have around our campus on some of the buildings. And so thanks for your generosity there. Thanks also for your just general fund giving. You helped us close some gaps at the end of the year, and I just want to I just say thank you for that. Thanks for bringing in your first fruits, your tithes and offerings as a form of worship. That's what allows us to further our vision to see Salem become a city at peace with God. Multiple ways, if you want to start giving, if you're wanting to move, just kind of own, be an owner around this place, multiple ways that you can give. You can give online. There's boxes in the lobby, uh, multiple ways. But thank you so much for your generosity. As we launch into the new year, I also just want to share with you some opportunities that are there for you. One, life groups. If you are not in a life group, can I encourage you to get in a life group? There are multiple life groups around the city that have openings right now. That is where growth happens, in small community with people that know you and that you know them. It's a beautiful thing. Get in Involved in a life group. There's also Soul Care Intensive is getting ready to launch, as well as a class that we're offering called Perspectives. We haven't offered it in Salem in over seven years, and so that's getting ready to launch. There's information in the lobby about that. Roses at Salem Alliance signify new life in Christ. There's a rose on the platform because last week Steve surrendered his life to Jesus in one of the weekend services. Would you celebrate that with us today? As we launch into this new year, we're kicking off a new series today called Demonstrate and Declare. And as we enter into a new year and just want to see our vision of a city at peace with God, we just want to talk about what it means in our roles to be representatives and to share Jesus with our city. In many ways, this is a series that is about evangelism. Evangelism is an interesting word. It's a word that many of us around here just feel really needs some refreshing. In fact, when you hear the word evangelism, what is it that stirs in you? What comes to mind? My imagination is that in this room this size, there are different feelings that get stirred. For some of us, it's excitement. Because we go back to this courageous person that approached us on our college campus years ago, shared Jesus with us, and changed the entire trajectory of our life. For some of us, the word stirs a little bit of guilt because we think that as a follower of Jesus, we should be doing this daily, if not weekly, and we're not. And so we just have this sense that maybe God's disappointed in us. For some of us, it's a word that we say, that's the gift that I have. That's the spiritual gift that I have and I walk in. And it's a positive, positive thing. For others, it's a word that we want to run from because it's a word that has been associated with kind of the obnoxious people on the street corners that are yelling at the cars that are driving by or have the big banners. Or maybe it's the pulpit preacher that's using fire and brimstone fear tactics to scare people into the kingdom. 
For others, it's a word that kind of makes us a little bit uncomfortable because it seems to have these connotations that in our culture are misunderstood. My way is right, yours is wrong, you need to change. And we don't want to be associated with that. There's different reactions for many of us to this word in the room. And because of that, we want to talk about it over the next few weeks. We want to build a new and clear and relevant paradigm on what it means to share Jesus. We want to look at scripture because I believe as we look at scripture and the expansion of the kingdom of God in the church, we will see that evangelism is way broader, more collective, and includes a story that is more compelling than many of us might think. For this series, we're defining evangelism as the revelation of the good news to people. We'll see that it takes different forms with different people, with different cultures, in different areas of our city. Let me give you a quick roadmap of where we're heading. Today, I'm going to talk about declaration, using our words, our mouth, as evangelism. Next week, we're going to talk about power as evangelism. We're going to look at signs and wonders, healing, revelations, and dreams, and how that plays a role in leading people to Jesus. On week three, Ashley's going to be up here talking about justice as evangelism, and Brian will close us out talking about generosity as evangelism. I'm excited. I hope you are as well. Our team has put a lot of work into this. In fact, our curriculum writing team has put out a Bible study guide that I just want to encourage you to pick these up. It's a four-week series. These are available for free in the lobby in the Welcome Center. Grab one of those if you want to go a little bit deeper. But here we go. Today, we're talking declaration as evangelism. One of the things that's important when we talk about sharing Jesus with others is an understanding of the culture that we reside in. And one of the ways that you can study a culture and understand it is looking at trends in language and new words that are developed. One of the things that I love to do as the new year happens every year is I always find that article that talks about the new dictionary word that Oxford is going to add into the dictionary. Last year, I shared with you, I I, I was excited. The word that we were given last year was goblin mode. How many of you remember that? I preached on goblin mode. Goblin mode is this idea that you've been trying to keep up these appearances for a certain amount of time, and then you're like, this is ridiculous. I'm exhausted. You throw in the towel, and you just go sloth. You go lazy, and you just give up. Goblin mode. And we talked about that. This year, they narrowed it down. I'll, I'll share some of these words with you. They made it a democratic process where people get to vote on what the word should be. Here's three of the top five words that were up for for election. One, beige flag. Beige flag. What is a beige flag? Beige flag is not a red flag with a prospective partner, but it's a beige flag. It means that there's a quirky characteristic in that person that's not necessarily a deal breaker, but uh, huh, huh. Hey, turn to the person next to you and and just help them identify a beige flag that they, no, do not do that. We did that at my dinner table this week and it hurt. Second word, riz, riz, a shortened version. Wow, there's some reaction at the root of that. A shortened version of charisma. And the third, swifty. Shorthand for fans of Taylor Swift. I'm just going to leave that one there because it's too easy. Uh, guess what took the prize? Riz. Riz took the prize. Riz will now be in your Oxford dictionaries and English teachers all over the country shed a tear. Uh, The official definition of riz, riz, style, charm, or attractiveness, the ability to attract a romantic partner. Some people have it and some don't. 
It gained popularity pretty quickly over the last year. I, I've been hearing it used quite a bit. By the time Oxford picks it up, let's be honest, it's a bit irrelevant. So everybody under 25 has been rolling their eyes at me for the last two minutes. And I get it. That's fine. You can add the word up to riz, to riz up. It becomes a verb, meaning, according to Oxford, to pursue someone or chat them up. Uh, I hope that you're, are you keeping up with me here? This is really important. For those of you that are over 35 in this room, here's the good news for you. You don't really have to ever worry about using the word riz in a sentence because you never should. You simply, you never should. You're too old. Don't try to make it work. You're off the hook. Praise the Lord. Exactly. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing. You're not off the hook because anyone that is under 35 expects you to know the meaning of it and its context every time they use it. So you're welcome. I'm trying to help you out. Riz, a shortened version of charisma, a church that, uh, a word that the church is very familiar with. Charisma. Spiritual giftings that we've given to be favored by God. The Greek word for grace is derived from this word, as is the word charismatic. A charismatic church, in a broad sense, is a church that believes in the working of the Holy Spirit for today. That the Holy Spirit is still working in the lives of people and in our lives. And that the spiritual gifts are bestowed upon the church and still in use for today. And we, according to that definition, would be considered a charismatic church. We believe in these biblical truths, that the word of God is is alive and active, and the Holy Spirit works through us to edify the church, to build up the church, and to expand the church. And it's with that biblical understanding that we look at our text today, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you would like, or on your apps, but I will put it on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the word of the Lord. What Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth is this is a big deal. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a new person. You have experienced forgiveness. Your relationship with him has been restored, meaning you have been reconciled. It's a big deal. It's what we've come and celebrated at the communion table this morning. Reconciliation simply means the restoring of a relationship, and we celebrate that he has made a way. But what I want to concentrate on today is the fact that he now invites us to share that path of restored relationship, that way of reconciliation with those around us. That's the calling that we see here in this passage. Paul is saying that God uses our words to share his ways. He uses our words to share his ways. 
It's a calling to be a representative or to be an ambassador of reconciliation. When I was living in the Middle East, we were running a nonprofit, an NGO, a non-government organization, and we ran numerous programs in different cities, and one of our major partners was the U.S. Embassy. And because we had this partnership with them, we were doing kind of just what it means to be a good citizen for juniors and seniors in high school, and there was hundreds of them throughout the country that were going through the program. And it was a high-profile program for the embassy, and so their ambassador of the U.S. Embassy, which was one of the biggest embassies in the world at the time, would often pay us a visit to see what was going on going on. And it was always a big deal. I got to know two of the ambassadors fairly well. They would pull up to our center and there would always be four black SUVs and you have no idea which one they're going to get out of for security purposes. And they walked with an authority. When they would come into the room, our students, the participants in our program, they would have their full attention. This is the ambassador of the United States. Their job descriptions were pretty intense. You see, an ambassador is the one who makes the appeal to the host nation to encourage peace to continue. Peace with the country that they're from, but peace with their neighbors as well. An ambassador is one that releases peace. An ambassador is one that shares the values and the beauty of their home country with their host country. It's what they're called to do. And this is what Paul is asking of us here to share the beauty of peace, the message of reconciliation with those around us, to represent our king and to share the beauty and the ways of the king beyond the communities where he is already known. It's honestly a big commission. In fact, in the church, we call it the Great Commission, found in Matthew chapter 28. And the assignment can feel a little bit overwhelming, at least I know it does for me, and As our team did some research, as we looked at what Barna has said over the past few years and surveyed people even in our community, there were two roadblocks to taking part in being ambassadors that kind of surfaced. The first was a lack of confidence, a lack of confidence that we have the words. Some of us are, are saying, you want me to talk to people about who this King of Kings, this Jesus is? Trust me. Someone sits for coffee with me, they're going to leave more confused than when they started the conversation. Some of us are saying, I just don't know how to do this. My theology isn't straight. I'll say something wrong. I'll make it worse. And friends, this response is nothing new to God. In fact, when he calls Moses and tells Moses, I want you to be my mouthpiece, look at Moses' reaction in Exodus 4. He says, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I have never been. I am not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. But God has a pretty gentle, I believe, fatherly just voice that he responds to Moses. And he says, Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses, I'll be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in the words to say. God uses words to share his ways. He uses our words. And Paul here is saying that we, if we are followers of Jesus, are authorized representatives of his kingdom. An authorized rep. 
When you have a piece of technology that stops working or an appliance that isn't doing what it's supposed to be or even a car that breaks down, who do you want to see? You want to see an authorized rep, someone who has gone through a course or been approved by the maker of that product to deal with it, to make it right. And here, Paul is saying that we are authorized representatives of his way, of his reconciliation plan. And if you're like me, you're saying, yeah, well, what qualifies me for that? And he's saying, it's because you've experienced it yourself. It's because I am with you and will give you the words to say. A second roadblock that surfaced are underlying fears. And these are real. Fear of offending someone. Fear of being rejected. For me, the big one, like really big for me that I've been having to deal with all week as I prepared this is a fear of being misunderstood. A fear of being misunderstood. I think sometimes we're timid because of these fears and sometimes we also start with this assumption that those around us, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors actually don't want to have spiritual conversations and yet the data shows that most people actually do. Even those that have become disfranchised, that were part of the church and have walked away, they even are spiritually open according to the data. People are curious. Might there be more curiosity out there than some of us think. For some, it's curiosity about creation. They, like me, were stopped in their tracks on Tuesday night when the sun went down over Salem. When they saw the beauty of the colors that were there, and they just were like, wow. Creation. Who made all this? For some, the curiosity comes as we continue to discuss and read and understand more about artificial intelligence, which leads us to the question of what does it mean to be human? What is humanity anyway? We have these soul, the soul, and we have feelings, and they can't be measured by algorithms, and it seems like chance can't be the answer to these things. For some, it's processing just that we know there's a supernatural, transcendent realm. We know that's there. Can we just address it? There's a hunger in our culture. People are more fascinated by tarot reading and horoscopes than than they have been in decades. There is a hunger. And how much of that curiosity is because people know there is more out there. The data says that most people enjoy having spiritual conversations. Even those that have left the church or disenfranchised with it, they might not want an invitation to come back to church, but many of them do want to have spiritual conversations. They want to process with people that know Jesus why they left. And so we get to have those conversations. But probably the most important thing that the research shows us is that it's how we have the conversations that matters most. It's the posture that we have as we have these conversations, as we declare who Christ is in our lives. And I want to conclude here with three tips on how to have these conversations. And I believe that these three things are a basis that will give us a new ethos, a new paradigm for sharing Jesus with our city, for bringing peace everywhere that we go. I also believe that they will help ease some of our fears, the lack of confidence, and and just underlining fears that may exist. The first tip is this. Locate yourself in God's plans and pursuit through prayer. 
Locate yourself in God's plan. What does this mean? Become aware of what Holy Spirit is up to in the lives of those around you. You do that through prayer. You pray. You pray that God will pursue them and he will give you his heart for them. This has to be our starting point. Prayer is so powerful. Asking the Holy Spirit what he is up to is vital. When he prompts us, then we get to pray blessing. When he prompts us, we get to pray conviction or pray for opportunities to listen or share. We pray the beauty of Jesus will be made known to those in our spheres of influence. And we pray for the prodigals in our community and the spiritually open and those who seem resistant. We get to plead that Christ will pursue those around us. Prayer and paying attention to what Holy Spirit is up to is our readiness. For years, I believe that as the church talks about evangelism, they talk about readiness. And that readiness is often a one-size-fits-all, pre-scripted, equipping readiness. And that's not always a bad thing. The four spiritual laws and evangelism explosion and being able to draw a bridge diagram on a napkin are not necessarily bad things, but oftentimes they give us this sense of control. And oftentimes they're outdated. They worked in the season when the culture was asking the question, is this true? But friends, the culture is asking diverse amount of questions now. And is it true is just one of the many. And so can I suggest that as we work towards a new paradigm, that maybe we tear up some of those pre-scripted one-size-fits-all ways of doing evangelism and throw them out? May we keep some of the background of them, some of the concepts that behind them are really good. I mean, Romans Road, knowing some of those verses, that's a win. But can we toss out those scripts? And can we create a new script? And can that script start with locating ourselves in God's plans and his pursuit of people through prayer? Maybe this could be our new script. We'll throw it up here. This breath prayer. Holy Spirit, give me the eyes to see where you are working, the ears to listen to my friends, and the words to declare your ways for them. We get to learn to connect Jesus to the reality of the lives of those around us. Being a disciple of Jesus, being an ambassador, means that we have to be extravagantly relational and culturally discerning learners. It means that we're humble. You see, we aren't alone in leading in this initiative. It is the Holy Spirit who leads. We are simply partners with what he is doing. And when that is our starting point, we will always be humble. When that is our starting point, our words will be invitational, not confrontational. When that is our starting point, we will see people as people, not projects. When that is our starting point, we will share Jesus, not out of obligation, but out of compassion. Because the words that God gave to Moses are good for us as well. Now go. I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. The second tip, prioritize listening. Prioritize listening. Please don't ever share your spiritual backstory if you haven't asked to hear theirs. Everyone has something to say, but who's listening these days? You can say whatever you want on social media, but who is listening? Listening is a lost art. It's an art and it's a practice that ascribes values to others when we do it well. So listen attentively, not sitting there waiting for a break in the conversation to give your point or counterpoint. 
but listen in a way that shows humility, that allows you to learn yourself, that allows you to release empathy, and learn to ask the good questions. Have less answers and more responses. And may one of those responses be, honestly, that's a great question, and I have no idea. David Brooks, an author, recently came out with a new book. It's titled, How to Know a Person, The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen. The fact that this book is selling so well right now shows us that we have a problem in our world. It's an affirmation to even this point of listening. In it, he says, wise people don't just possess information. They possess the compassionate understanding of other people. They know about life. Friends, our evangelism isn't about possessing information. It's not. It is about so much more than that. It is about compassion. It is about understanding and seeing people where they are. It is about releasing empathy. It is based in a wisdom that we should have when we rely on the Holy Spirit about life. When we listen, it demonstrates compassion, respect, acceptance of the other. And with that, when we do it well, will come a reciprocity where we are asked to share about our spiritual journey, about our story. And when we're asked, God will give us the words to say. The third tip that I want to share with you today, prioritize listening. It's that important. Ironic, this week is about declaration, and I'm up here saying the key is prayer and listening. Because when we do those things well, the words will come, because they are his words declaring his ways through us. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are a pursuing God. You love your creation so much that you sent your son and you made a path of reconciliation to restore relationships. And we remember that and we celebrate that today and we worship and we thank you for making that way. For those in this room that haven't experienced that, re that reconciliation, that restored relationship, Lord, I pray that you would pursue them even now as we worship. And for those of us that have, who you are calling to be ambassadors of that reconciliation, I pray that you would release an ability to overcome any fears and begin to testify of what you've done in our lives once we've listened. Would you make us the wise and compassionate followers that are able to listen to those around us? Lord, we thank you. You are a good father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.